1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It's Sunday morning, so it is the day after. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and shirt.com. day after brings Jason Staples and, of course, Buck Sanders to join me, Tommy Ashley. Again, InsideCarolina.com and JohnnyTShirt.com. Uh, Buck, the old saying is a win is a win. And it certainly goes down in the correct column for North Carolina after the 45-42 win over Miami. I don't really have much for this one other than just, wow. Wow. what a What a, what a day. Yeah, I think that's true to a certain extent, but
2: like some other people that I know, uh, as I was, uh, you know, t- trying to digest all this, I was getting the the feeling like, uh, did I ever say there was such a thing as a bad loss <laughs> or, you know, a, a good loss? I mean, uh, I, I was at that point where I was ready to say UNC won, but it was very just, you know unsatisfying. Um and to say that after a win is usually considered bad form. But I was at that point, you know, where, you know, this this even though it's a win, it goes in a win column, and years down the road, we may not remember much about this game. Uh the way they want it felt very, very, uh, in some ways, uh, it was a relief, but it was disheartening. So, uh, I'm over that point now though. I'm, I'm with you. A win is a win is a win, but there for a moment, it had me questioning a lot of my longstanding philosophies and
1: beliefs about football. <laughs> the, uh, Jason, I said it off air and I'll, I'll say it here. It, it felt very familiar. It's just was flipped, right? How many times has Carolina been in Miami shoes yesterday where you just play like garbage, you come back, you come all the way back, you're going to get it, you're going to win, you're going to win, and then you don't. Carolina did that numerous times last season. Miami uh, felt that feeling yesterday in Keenan Stadium. Your overall thoughts, we, we're going to get into this specifically the second half, but yeah, it's a win. It's four and three is better than three and four going into a bye week. Your thoughts?
0: Look, there's there's uh, there's really good wins. There's wins that make you feel like you're you you escaped with your you know with your life. But there's no bad wins, and you know that one was definitely one where you didn't feel great going out but i'll tell you this if i'm a if i'm a uh, the the carolina coaching staff and players i'm really glad with the way that one ended going into the open week i mean this is one where you know you feel like uh, so I'll, I'll i'll think about it this way so the the team that and, and, and you know the other team that i cover so florida state is a good example of this a couple of weeks ago They had one of those wins against Syracuse that felt like what in the world just happened? Like they didn't feel like a, like a whole lot had really changed in that, but they managed to win on a walk-off kick, right? Win by point over Syracuse at home. It's not a great Syracuse team. And you go, well, you know, they, they finally got a win, but you know, still, still didn't really get there. And then the next week, they actually played really well and obviously beat North Carolina. And it's one of those things where you hear coaches talk about this a lot. And I've, I've experienced this before just breaking through and getting a good result. Sometimes actually really helps, helps you in terms of being able to continue getting better process. And you know, this, this is one of those games you wonder, okay, coming into the bye week this gives you a chance as a coaching staff. First of all, your players are going to feel pretty good because they managed to escape and they got the win. But there's a lot of things that you can point to and go, come on dude what are you doing and you can you can rip into these guys in ways that you know maybe a little harder to do when when you haven't when when you when you've lost it's like okay look we won but look this is why it was this close and you can continue to do some of that a little bit more over the over the buy and and into the into the preparation for the next week so The question for me is going to be, is this the kind of win that is the kind of cures what ails you, like finally got some breaks, got things started, and, you know, got over the hump kind of win? Or is this just basically going to be one of those, well, played basically similar, but managed to get a win this time, and then things nothing changes and things basically keep going as they were? So that's, that's kind of where I, what my thoughts were leaving the game is, okay, is this going to be a – is this the get-right game where not everything was done right, but they managed to, to emerge a, a winner? Or is this just going to be, well, you won, but, you know, keep, keep being what you are the next week?
1: That's a good take. Uh, you know, I, I think – yes, I think going into the bye week, they had to have a win, whatever – whatever it took to get it they got it and Buck carolina hadn't had too many there has not been too many times um in quite some time that we've said well carolina won but i don't know if they deserved it and that's a different take from what we're used to right and i understand the fan base and especially inside carolina folks being frustrated with what they saw but That's a step in the process, right? You win a game that you did not play well, that you did not do anything well virtually in the second half, and yet you still win. I think that's a little bit of progress. Am I just off there?
2: No, I I think you're on it, uh, Tommy. Uh, Here's the thing. I thought that going into the game after kickoff, uh, North Carolina had corrected a lot of stuff. Uh, that went wrong for them on the previous outing. Um, uh, they, they looked a lot better. And at the end of the first quarter, North Carolina had 176 yards. Miami had 12, uh, Miami had 45 yards of penalty yardage, which was. Uh, like three times the amount of yards they earned by you know, actually going against UNC's defense, I thought offensively and defensively, North Carolina looked really good. Um, the main thing they did horribly was they committed a lot of, uh, penalties Now There were penalties of aggression, but still they let Miami hang around. They played an excellent first quarter, but the score is 14 to 10. They've only got a four point lead. Miami doesn't have an offensive touchdown. Um and the field goal that they've got was gifted to them by the penalties that uh, North Carolina uh committed. Uh, they they were aggressive. Uh it's good to see that. They definitely looked like they wanted to be, you know, in Keenan Stadium playing Miami as opposed to playing Florida State when they didn't look like they wanted to be there. So in that first quarter, they had a lot of stuff corrected and uh, things were going their way, but they let Miami hang around, and and that's getting to be almost my uh, go-to uh, bugaboo for uh, you know a team like North Carolina playing Miami, who they Miami's playing their third-string quarterback, and Cameron Harris gets hurt in the first quarter. North Carolina should have easily beaten Miami, I think, by. Uh, at least 14 points, if not 21, but they let them hang around and, and they did that them to themselves by committing aggressive, a penalty, aggressive penalties, uh, that kept Miami hanging around. Um, and you can't do that as particularly with Miami. If you get their your foot on their neck, you are never supposed to let that foot up on Miami. Cause if you keep your, your foot on their neck long enough, they're gonna, they're gonna fault. They're just going to, uh, they'll be looking at, oh, well, I mean, what time is the flight to, to back down to South beach, but in this game, North Carolina, let them hang around and there at the end, it felt like North Carolina stole one. Um, but I'll like Jason, I'll take the wind headed into a
1: bye week and run with it. Absolutely, uh, Carolina wins forty-five, forty-two again. Jason, let's we're going we do the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, good, they won. The bad, uh, yeah, the game. Uh, but let's talk about the ugly, and that was the second half. Carolina um, played well in first half on offense. They could have done some things better. I love seeing Ty Chandler be involved and all. But if you look at the second half, stat, second half stats. Carolina had two touchdown drives, 75 yards, 58 yards. Outside of those two drives in the second half, and not including the final kneel down after the clinching interception, Carolina had negative one yard of offense. What in the world, and that's saying it very nicely, was going on? Yeah,
0: so to me, what it looked like is Carolina offensively, once it got to the fourth quarter, Carolina offensively looked to me like they were playing not to lose. And that especially was the case at the end of the, at the, end of the football game. And what's interesting is I'm not sure what happened there on that last drive. I think we should probably talk specifically about that one because you, you looked at that last drive. They get the ball with – 3:06 remaining, 45-42 lead. So you got a three-point lead. You get the ball, and you've got got the ball on your own 27. 3:06 to uh, to play. Your opponent has three timeouts. General rule of thumb: there is you need to get one at least first down, but really you need two first downs to seal the game. You get two first downs, the game's over. That's what you've got to play for. There's three minutes on the clock. They played as though there was one minute on the clock. Ty Chandler rushed for zero yards. Ty Chandler rushed for one yard loss. Sam Howell rushed for five yards. And I'm watching this going, What
1: in the world? Mm.
0: Did, did you not realize there were two extra minutes on the clock?
1: I mean, which it's is not- it, it's a common theme. Over and over and over.
0: Yeah. Now, what was interesting to me is, generally speaking, I mean, having been on the headsets on this before, normally what happens is you get the you get the football there and there's a, a quick exchange bef- right before you get the ball. This is, you know, prior to kickoff and all that. Offensive coordinator and head coach, you hear, okay, what do you want us to do, coach? And then you hear, all right, you know, just run it, guys. Just run it. We got to run clock. We got to make them use those timeouts. All right. Or get a first down, whatever, you know, don't put the ball in danger, but get a first down, you know, this sort of thing. The head coach is usually going to give you that, that sort of thing of like, I want you to, you know, take clock, you know, get, get tied out and tie, down, tie uh, get, uh, get timeout timeouts, use that sort of thing, or I want you to attack. So you kind of clear that as an offensive staff with the head coach. But then I watched Mac Brown's uh, response on the sideline and I'm not sure that they had that conversation beforehand. Because I think he seemed to be a little bit like, what in the world was that? And then he points at the, at, the, at the time, and it sure looked to me like he said the same thing I was thinking, which was, there's still three minutes left, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't just run it into the line of scrimmage three times and, and, and you know, punt it. We, we needed to hold the ball a little bit. Because to me, you get the ball with three minutes left. Against what you know, that Miami defense is going to do, they're going to bring pressure and they're going to load the line of scrimmage to do everything possible to keep you from running the football. That's the time to do a quick play action, get the ball out to Josh Downs on the perimeter and let him try to make a first down. That's the time to run a little glance route type thing where it's a safe throw to a guy like uh, uh, Antoine Green. To get that ball out, get a first down. You you want to? That's where you play action on first down. And yes, I know. Okay, so you get an incompletion, and now now you're not costing their timeouts. That's fine. You play to win the game. And to me, the best shot of winning the game there is to play action, knowing that they're going to be bringing that pressure, and and throw something that you are seventy plus percent. Completion percentage on maybe eighty percent. You get it out to Josh Downs on the perimeter, and you got about a fifty percent chance of getting a first down. You get the ball in that guy's hands. At least that that game's over. All of a sudden, now you can kneel it out in you know a few more plays because they've got to burn a timeout when you get the first down, or you're going to run forty-five seconds, and now you're down at close to two minutes. So then the game's over but they kind of they, they put the defense in an awfully bad spot there just by playing not to lose there. And then you go back one drive, and you go okay, <clears throat> get the ball with 8:19 left on the UNC 43. So that's that's go field position. That's the general rule there. You get the ball in that cent- center 20, 20 yards of the of the field, so 40 to 40, that's go field position. That's where you that's where you feel like you can you can take a shot, you can do some things there. What do they have Ty Chandler rushed for one yard loss. Ty Chandler rushed for five yards. Sam Howell pass incomplete to Josh Downs, punt. Now, granted, they punted it down to the three. So good. But again, that's one where 8-19, they're already in their four-minute offense essentially. Run on first down, run on second down, and then trying to get it out and you know throw something safe on third down. There's your there's most of your fourth quarter right there. I mean, they did have the, the touchdown drive, you know, the first drive of the of the of the fourth quarter to to get up to to uh, forty five points. And you know, credit to them on that, but man, I mean, that uh, that fourth the the final two drives of the fourth quarter did not feel like they were they were playing to win the football game, and. They almost paid for it. I mean, the general rule is you play not to lose, and what happens? Yep. You get what you were trying not to do. You have to play to win the game, and you know that's something I, I will give. You know, flipping over to the defensive side quickly, I will give the defense credit because on that last drive, they they called that that drive to win the game, and we'll talk about that later. But you know that offensively, I thought the the close of the game was really
1: disappointing. Since we're here, let's go ahead and talk about it because Buck, uh, we've talked about um, Cedric Gray quite a bit on this podcast in the last few weeks. Kid balled out yesterday, and Gimmel stepped up and made a great play at the end there uh, to save Carolina from themselves, (laughs) to put it uh, nicely again. Uh, But Gray's performance, I think we have – Secured or seen that that position secured for this North Carolina team for sure, Gray. What do you think about Gray and how he's grown so much in the last few weeks?
2: Yeah, it's really been interesting to see him uh, just sort of. And Mac talked about this in his post game that as far as uh, players recruited to North Carolina's defense, Gray is not your highest ranked recruit ever. You know and. You know, they've got a bunch of players playing for them that are four-star, even now five-star, a couple of five-star guys on the defensive side of the ball. And Gray just kind of came out of really nowhere as far as I was concerned. I mean, we had heard about him in the, in the spring. He was looking good, blah, blah, blah. But it was just kind of a throwaway comment. I, I didn't really um, consider him as a guy that was going to merge as more or less the backbone of this defense. And that's what he's emerging as, um, as a backbone of the defense. But the, the problem that I have is that they have some very talented players on North Carolina's defense. No question. There's some extremely curious, kindly miles, Murphy, um uh, Des Evans, uh, you know, Cedric gray, Tony Grimes, you can go on and on. But, uh, for me, uh, the, the problem I was having last night was it looked like these guys were playing like a defense that had a collection of, of talented players, but wasn't playing as a unit. Uh, they're not playing as a unit and the, the yardage and the drives and the, uh, the success they allowed Miami to have in the second half. And there was one particular play, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, It's all a little bit of a blur now, but there was one play where North Carolina was trying to get the right number of players on the field there for a period of like what seemed to be a couple of minutes and p- people were running off and on and, um, you know, they never did seem to get lined lined up quickly enough, and I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Manny Diaz, I'm screaming at Miami, just just hike the ball, just snap it, because they don't have any clue what they're doing over there. They're not lined up correctly, and and actually, um, North Carolina ended up making a good uh, defense, made a good play on that, came in Rucker, came off the right-hand side, and. Uh, put some pressure on uh, Van Dyke, caused him to roll to his right, and he ended up throwing it out of bounds. But, I mean, they look completely disorganized. Um, and that's not where I would expect this defense to be in game seven of, of the season. And I don't know what the cause of it is. I don't know, obviously don't know the solution of it, and obviously I'm looking at it from the outside looking in. But uh, it wasn't a good look for the UNC defense on that play.
1: Yeah, Jason, uh, you know, bye week's coming up. You can cure some things maybe in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, they ended up making the play to win the game. But to Jason's point – or excuse me, to Buck's point, uh, there was some organized – disorganized chaos out there at times with this team. What are you seeing or what did you see yesterday against Miami that maybe surprised you? Um, or maybe didn't w- with the way this is going.
0: So, I, I'm I'm might be a bit of a mon- minority voice here, but I, I actually thought the defense played reasonably well most of this game. I mean, 13 drives and gave up 35 points uh, against a team that has scored some points this uh, this season. Some uh, against a team with some explosive players. Particularly, Knighton at the at the back. When actually, it's one of those things where when Cameron Harris got hurt, it actually probably uh, helped Miami rather than hurting them because of his his speed. But I look at the first half in particular; they gave up three point one yards per play. That's that's real good. <laughs> well, you in know, the first,
2: first half, they only gave up twenty yards or twelve yards. So uh,
0: they, they gave up eighty total yards in the first half. Right. So. Three point three point one yards per play in the first half. And you feel pretty good about that. Yeah. I mean, that's uh that that should have been it should have been 31 to 10 at the end of the first half. Offense, of course, gave him this gave him gave him a, a free score. So, you know, defense gave up ten points and three point one yards per play in the first half. That's winning football. The concerning part his second half, 6.4 yards per play and 25 points given up by the defense. Gave up 10 in the first half and 25 in the second on 6.4 yards per play in the second half. That's not good enough. But the, the thing that the, the place where, you know, things got really concerning in the second half more than even on the defense is both sides of the ball struggled in the second half. The offense was only 4.3 yards per play in the second half. So, what that meant is a little bit shorter fields. And also, again, the defense, I think, in the second half, struggled to deal with some of the stuff that Miami was doing. Miami started, started throwing it a bit more on first down was my impression. I haven't looked at the, at the numbers on that. But started throwing it a little bit more on first down and, and took some of what the defense was giving them on that. And they won some matchups downfield. Uh, and they also had some problems in terms of some of the same problems in terms of angles and open field tackling that we've seen all year reemerged in the second half. When you look at uh, Knighton's long touchdown, you look at that and you go, how, how does he wind up one-on-one with a corner there and he doesn't get touched? You can't have that in that situation where you've got, really a corner and then a safety coming over the corner just has to make sure that he's at least getting hand on the guy and the guy goes down. So to me, it's the tackling, it's the angles. It's some of those things. It's little technique things that, that reemerged in the second half that they were able to take advantage of. Uh, Some of the communication in the secondary just some of those little things and, and Miami made a few plays in the second half on, on, on some defensive backs that, you know, back defensive backs were in position and, and, and gave up plays, but I thought overall they put themselves in position to win in the first half game was closer than it should have been anyway. And then in the second half, they just, you know, you, the, the biggest thing was, I think they used the, the it was the combination of penalties in bad situations that gave them that gave Miami a couple first downs, kept some drives going. It was a combination of not, uh, not taking great angles and and getting guys on the ground, uh, letting guys break tackles, different things like that more than anything else defensively. And yeah, there were, there were a few, there were a few plays where there, you know, there was a, a fire drill kind of thing, trying to get guys on and off the field. And, you know, I understand what's going on there. I mean, to what most likely is, is happening is, uh, you're getting somebody upstairs is, t- is calling down personnel for the offense and offense makes a, a, a particular substitution change. And somebody on the phones is probably going, okay, uh, you know, 21, 21, 20, no, 22, 22. And then you, all of a sudden you've got that, or, you know, you, you've got a couple guys that you tried to sub in and they're hollering for their guy, you know, out, 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 you know, whatever defensive tackle needs to come out, you know, Ray, 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 get out, get out. And he doesn't hear it initially, so now you got extra guys, and now you're shuffling in and out. That sort of thing happens. It's happening too much right now. But my, my, bigger, my bigger thing is that they've got to figure out how to do some of the basic fundamentals right defensively in terms of in, – and in right every time in terms of, of pursuit angles, in terms of getting guys on the ground, and in terms of making sure that they, uh, that they get off blocks. That's the other thing. In this game, they had two sacks in the second half. They had, uh, you know, four sacks on the game. Uh, I don't know how many tackles for loss they had, but let me take a look. Uh, Tackles for loss, they had eight tackles for loss. That's not terrible. I mean, that's around what you kind of expect for a decent outing there. But my impression is that the defensive line is still just not getting off of blocks well enough. Those guys have got to do a better job of shedding blocks. And – my impression is that they're just not uh they're not doing enough of that and they're they're allowing themselves to get blocked, which is not the scheme. You've got to you've got to get your hands on the guy and shed him in a variety of different ways. You've got to get penetration and they're not getting enough of that, which allows offenses then to take advantage of some of those other things. So it's a combination of things, but you know, on the whole, I thought the defense the defense was actually probably the little bit better side in this game than the offense. I mean, neither, I thought it's funny because you say 45 points for the offense. I didn't think either side really played to the level that, that you want in this game. Uh, but ultimately and each side played well enough for the, for the team to win just a fairly unsatisfying win.
1: Agree there. Uh it sort of reminded me, you're talking about getting off blocks here. It reminded me of the old uh college football game or Madden game where the defensive guy just sucks into the offensive lineman and you can't get him off of him. And you saw that a lot, especially on that there in the trenches. Let's uh take a short break, talk about Johnny T shirt, Johnny shirt.com. Certainly great friends of Inside Carolina. I saw my man Sherelle McMillan doing some Johnny T shirt shopping and advertising. Um, because of the specials they give um, to the everyday fan, but also the 10% you get off if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Great place to visit on game days. Great place to, uh, you know, hang out, get some swag. Even if you can't get there, you can do it online for sure. Sponsored by – this podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, Inside Carolina's Friends of Johnny T-Shirt. So what does that mean you do? you support johnny t-shirt as you support inside carolina take a short break let the national guys pay the bills on the audio version we'll be right back the day after with buck jason and myself
3: hey guys this is ross martin from inside carolina i want to talk to you about inside carolina's new podcast sponsor it's blue shark vodka blue shark vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of wilmington and wrightsville north carolina It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awakening flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish, and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, a little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light. It's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned. And it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend
2: another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: All right, boys, I do want to talk about the offense. Of course, this is the day after podcast, InsideCarolina.com, with book centers. Jason Staples. Jason, since you brought it up, as I was going into break, threw off my fantastic read for the day. I'm going to let you get into what you talked about. And, Buck, I want to get your take on it as well. Uh, That last defensive drive, um, let's go there. It it ultimately won the game for North Carolina. Looked like the kitchen sink was coming out from Jay Bateman, at least from my untrained eyes, Jason. What would you see?
0: Yeah, what was interesting is I I think defensively, they did the opposite of what the offense had just done. So, you know, there are a couple of options, a couple of different uh, uh, approaches that they could have taken on that, where Miami gets the ball with three minutes left. One is to just try to play base and just, you know, make sure that they're having a run time coming down the field, doing all this stuff. And, you know, you just hope to survive. And that to me is in, with three minutes left, that's playing not to lose. Like we just can't give up the big play here, whatever. That is not what they did. <laughs> Jay Bateman, uh, like you said, he, he broke out the kitchen sink on that play, where, or I mean, on that, uh, on that, on that whole drive, where they brought some type of blitz from different angles on every play of that drive, trying to get, trying to end that drive with a, with a sack, with a turnover, with whatever. And you could see that it was, it was a, okay, we're going to bring the the big 12 blitz from the field here. We're going to bring, you know, we, they brought safeties, what three, three different plays, I think on that drive on the blitz. And there were, you know, it's funny because gray obviously finishes that with the, with the, with the pick with on a great play by Gemmel, by the way, to get his hand on that football, he should, he should get a lot of credit for fighting through that block and getting his hand on the football, but. They, that was not actually the play that should have ended the drive. There were two or three plays on that, on that drive that should have ended the drive because you had uh, Biggers had, uh, had Van Dyke, the quarterback, to dead to rights. What, twice? Mm. One-on-one in the backfield where he, you know, he's coming off unblocked on the blitz. I mean, the blitz works exactly as you draw it up. You got your one-on-one with the safety and the quarterback in the backfield twice for what should be drive killing sacks because you're going to burn 25 30 seconds minimum just getting your 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 receivers back they're running downfield you've got an eight 10 yard loss all of a sudden you know 30 30 seconds have gone by you're they're snapping it now it's third it's you know second third and long totally different different complexion of that you bring another blitz and 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 the game's over that's what they were going for but dang, if they cannot get guys to actually take the right angle and break down and, and, and sack the quarterback in those situations. And, I mean, I hope if there's no other drill that they do <laughs> this bye week, it's getting the safeties and, uh, and outside linebacker, defensive end types, your edges, and whoever else is going to be coming off the edge to practice – coming hard off that edge against somebody that can actually make a move and being in position to make that tackle instead of screaming right by him. Work on that. Because this defense would look completely different on the year if they had guys making that tackle in the one-on-ones in the backfield instead of over and over. How many times this year would you say we've seen that where a a guy comes unblocked, untouched from the, the safety position or from the outside linebacker position or just from the edge in general untouched against the quarterback only to watch the quarterback go and then just and either make was, a throw or, you know, run for a first down or in a couple of cases run for a touchdown and you go, dude, that should be an eight, 10 yard loss. What happened? How many times did you say that's happened?
1: Uh, ten, a bunch. Yeah. And the thing is, is they're not making some uh, yank you out of your shoes move to avoid it.
0: It's the same move every time
1: (laughs) every quarterbacks
0: made exactly the same move where it's just press a little bit harder into the backfield a little bit. You know, the back foot goes a little bit further, a little juke, step up, step forward. And then the guy just run, runs too, too deep in the backfield and you go, dude, you had him. So, you know, I I would, I agree. It's eight, 10 times maybe this year that we've seen that. That's eight or 10 drives that are stops that, that end up not being stops. But the thing that, that it should be encouraging to me is how aggressive the defense got there and how they, you know, I, I tip my cap to Bateman on that last drive because I tell you what, if I was the defensive coordinator, I'd have been ticked off by, by the way that I would just gotten the ball in that field position after, you know, you had a first down with three minutes left. Like, seriously, you go three and out like that? Come on, guys. And what does he do? He, he goes out and calls an aggressive plan to say we're going to get the ball back we are going to do everything possible to get our hands on the football get get the quarterback on the ground and you know what if they if they score we want them to score on a big play so that we get the ball back that was the right call in terms of defense to play complementary football if Miami's going to score there you want it to be because they beat one of your defensive backs on a 60 yarder right there and the offense can get the ball back completely the right approach. And finally, eventually the pressure worked. Now it was, you know, again, they, they on a combination of penalties and everything else, they were able to to move the ball on it despite getting all that pressure. But again, again, the pressure eventually got there and it eventually worked. They got a guy to get a hand on the football and end the game lucky in the way that it happened. But I do like the approach defensively. And frankly, I'd like to see a little bit more of that kind of aggressive approach over the course of, full games from from Carolina I do think at times uh they've they've tried to play a little bit more careful than than maybe Bateman's nature is on this and I think there are times where I'd like to see them just as a whole the defensive unit it looked like they played with more energy and and more urgency to get pressure on that last drive and I'd like to see that moving
1: forward do not disagree. Buck, you got any comments on the defense before I flip it to the offensive side? I do like going 100 miles an hour and see what happens rather than laying back and playing some sort of prevent there. So um, you agree with Jason there or or not?
2: Yeah, I I agree with what Jason's saying. I would just uh, add that uh, as many questions as North Carolina fans have about the play calls, uh, last drive of their offense when they stayed on the field, like a half second, uh, against, uh, Miami the the Miami fans probably, I haven't looked at their message boards or whatever, or checked it out at all, but I bet they are yanking their hair out ab- about that call that led to the interception, uh, on that final drive, Miami's receivers had been having fairly decent luck against North Carolina's cornerbacks. Um, a lot of the game, uh, Rambo was starting to, you know, pull some catches in and, uh, the tight ends, um, and, uh, and other Miami receivers. And what do they do instead of throwing, throwing the fade. In the end zone, where a couple of times where the the only guy that can uh, has a chance to catch the ball is your guy, uh, and if not, maybe he's going to get uh, a di call because the refs hadn't been bashful about uh, throwing that flag on North Carolina the entire game. Instead, they go over the middle. I mean, what are you thinking there? Uh, Lashley, um, uh, Diaz quarterback, whoever made that call. What, what a stupid thing to do there at the end of the game, time's running out and you throw it over the middle, um, where you're on, you're practically begging for something bad to happen to you. Uh, you know, in that situation, throw it, throw it to that. you know, back shoulder fade, you know, uh, in the end zone, how are you going to get hurt that way? Um, but no, they, they chose to throw it, um, over the middle. So as, as much as we're hating on, uh, some of the play calls on North Carolina's last offensive drive, um, I know, uh, for Manny Diaz, it's going to be Lucy, you got some planning to do, uh, <laughs> all day today
0: and you know what's interesting is as Car- is Carolina was in position even if Gemmel had not gotten his hand on that football they were in position to potentially intercept that ball at least break it up or make a make a secure tackle there because uh, I was on a glance route that that was going to be thrown on on the inside and you had uh you had two guys you had the the, the slot coverage was in good position and the safety coming downhill uh, that was Morrison was in good position to make a play I mean Morrison would have had a shot at it so they were in position all around against that and you I think you're right that's that's a situation where if I'm the if I'm uh Miami I'm thinking I want to go to the end zone you know until the until the game's over there just keep throwing 50 50 balls uh and hope my guy comes down with it on one of them but you, you thank him for that play call, and you appreciate uh, them giving you the opportunity to get a hand on it.
1: Pretty similar to uh, the Duke jump pass there at the end of that ball game a couple of years ago in Kenan Stadium. Buck, you mentioned the Miami message boards. Listen to this quote and tell me if you hadn't heard this, um, and I will uh, bleep out the names for their families, for the protection of their families. I've come to <laughs> the conclusion that blank, has no feel for the game. He has his plays. He has his philosophy and that's it. No creativity whatsoever. No motion, no misdirection. And he does little to help the QB. Who's the offensive coordinator in question with that? I'll quote? be talking
2: about Lashley as <laughs> is,
1: is my guess,
2: you know, since, uh, we, and you know, and, and the offensive coordinator is always going to be the guy that takes the heat in these situations, but would I've liked to have seen a little bit more creativity. The thing that if I'm going to complain about the offense, here's where I complain about the offense, you've got Josh Downs and you got Sam Howell and that's it, you know, it, for the UNC, <laughs> UNC offense, that's, that's all you got. If, if you're a creative guy, the creative offensive coordinator, You've got to find a way to be creative enough to involve somebody else in your offense, other than those two guys. Uh, you got to find a way. I mean, maybe, you know, some of these players are flawed and, you know, they're not doing, they're not catching the ball the way you want them to. And, but you've got to be creative offensively and get those guys involved some way, somehow, because teams are going to figure out. And and maybe this has some, uh, this helps explain the UNC's offensive output in the first half as compared to the second half In the first half downs had 10 catches and 90 yards, something crazy like that. And a touchdown second half. He only had a couple of catches. I mean, Miami figured out, Hey, bracket that kid, keep him from getting the ball and then challenge them to do anything else with anybody else and and see where they go with that.
0: And the one time they did, what happened with Antoine green?
2: Great catch. Great. Big play. Big play. Yeah. But you got to be creative. I mean, you can't just say. Can't catch. Well, we're done. He's he's yeah. He's, he's just better than everybody else. So we're going to throw him the ball every time. No, 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 no. You, you got to find a way to get other people to ball. Oh.
0: There's, there's a play I'm going to be breaking down for Inside Carolina this week that uh, they, they showed the, the all 22 views so you could actually see what was going on on one of, uh, one of Howell's sacks. And you go, well, that's why nobody's open. They called it, it's a one receiver route, essentially for downs. And, and so basically what you had is you had a quick out or a flat route on, one, on, so on the left side, you had a go route, which was just a clear out route and then a flat route underneath it. And then on the other side, you had a go route uh, from the outside receiver, which again, just a clear out route or what uh, Steve Sarkeesian calls a bus route. You just give the kid a bus ticket and say, get out of here. Um, uh, you know, it's a bus ticket. Uh, so you get, you know, the clear out route and then Josh Downs in a one-on-one against the, against the slot corner. And you watch Howell drop back and look right over to, to Downs for, for him to come off the line of scrimmage, make a move and get open. And what does Miami do? There's a guy on the guy that's on him isn't the only guy on him. They just make sure that the safety comes down and brackets him and takes him away. And then Howell is looking at him and goes, Uh oh. <laughs> and you're like, Okay, this is where you'd like to go to your second option. And you the know, Longo's is, is capable of it. He's capable right? the, of it. The problem is you there know? was no second option. And this yeah. is where you go, just run your offense where there's more options, then you can't In just the, uh, run to one guy when they're bracketing that guy. And that's it, your complaint, and I think it's a 100% accurate complaint.
2: And, and the, uh, the touchdown catch by Copenhaver um, is a perfect illustration of being creative, right? Yeah, you got three really tight nice ends play. in the game, you know. And uh, you basically use the other two t- tight ends as decoys so Copenhaver can sneak around and get in behind them and catch the touchdown pass. That's being creative where is that at the 50 yard line, you know, where is that at the 20, you know, l- let's get creative at some place, you know, where Miami or whoever, North uh, North Carolina's playing has to start thinking that somebody besides Downs is going to catch it or somebody, but be- you know, how's going to run it. So, uh, that's my complaint is, is get a little bit more creative and get other people involved in the offense as much as you can.
0: Well, I mean, just looking at the numbers here.
2: Snap Looking count, at sorry, targets, by the way. I, I got Jason wound up. I, I hit I hit, I pushed Jason's
1: buttons this morning. Well, Copenhagen, yeah. one snap, one touchdown. That's pretty good production.
0: But <laughs> and somehow still wound up with a uh, sixty-seven offensive grade from uh, from Pro Football Focus. I, I I'm I'm curious as to how that one got calculated. I, I'm I'm pretty sure you just give him a hundred on that. But anyway, um, you know, you look at targets on the day. Right, they they drop back. There are twenty five targets on the day, right? Which, okay, that's you know not throwing it a bunch. Fourteen of those went to Josh Downs. Okay, definitely your best player. Eleven of those pay off with a reception. Ninety six yards, touchdown. Okay, I can live with that. But then you go three to T- Chandler, two to jo- two to DJ Jones, one to Garrett Walston, and you realize, and one to Morales, and you realize outside wide receivers got three targets on the game.
1: Antoine, Antoine Green, Green, Green got seven. He played seventy-five snaps. How many targets? One. One. <laughs> one target for Antoine Green
0: for forty-one yards, and one and two targets for Justin Olson for for nothing. That's it. And at a certain point, you got to say, "Look, I know." You know, their best corners playing one of your outside guys. So you probably just say, you know what, we're gonna go go other side on that. But you do have to be a bit more balanced offensively in your pass game. And I mean, that's been a hallmark of Phil Longo's offense for years. And at, at a certain point, they're gonna have to find a way to find guys on the on the outside. That are going to be able to, and that's been the missing element in this offense all along. Find guys on the outside that are going to be able to make plays. And the other thing is that the Chandler targets, you know, one of those was the interception, uh, but the Chandler targets too. Those were were screens and behind the line of scrimmage. I'd like, I'd really like to see them challenge teams a little bit more to cover. Chandler and those outside receivers in other situations but hopefully the bye week it gives them an opportunity to to really figure out what they can do there and what they feel like their personnel offers them in those situations because right now that's that's an area where you feel like if you're a defense if you bracket Josh Downs and you take him away you're taking away more than half of what the offense does
2: one one wag on the message board I forget who else he included in there but he mentioned all the people that got zero targets, uh, like Coffee Brown and Emory Simmons, and a bunch of the other UNC receivers. And he included in there Roy Williams as somebody that did not get a target um, on Saturday night against Miami, along with some other people. I just throw away names.
3: That's so Roy great. Williams
2: got the same number of targets as uh, Emory Simmons did on Saturday night,
1: or. <laughs> Oh, coffee brown yeah coffee brown didn't even see a snap so that experiment i will stop saying that he's going to be the breakout guy um of whatever game but like i said jason you mentioned it and i want to hit on it because this sort of brings into something that we discuss a lot is those pff grades Copenhagen had one snap one catch one touchdown and he flunks his pff grade basically with a 66 yeah they're go. tough graders there, aren't they? At he did get
0: a 79.4 receiving grade, though. So I mean, yeah.
1: Man, you got to do more with that one catch. I guess do better. If, maybe if he'd caught it with his teeth, he would have gotten a hundred percent. One you got a one-hand it like that Lane w- Kiffin did with the water bottle after the Tennessee game. You got to yeah. it. Yeah. How, how about him pulling out the,
0: the golf ball there? Full George Costanza style. You know, Naylon was angry that night, my
1: friends. That was uh <laughs> if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the Tennessee, oh, man. That's crazy. And, you know, the thing about it is you, who goes to
2: a, a football game with golf balls in their pocket unless they're <laughs> thinking about throwing them at somebody, right? If, I mean, if they know, were throwing shotgun like, shells or oh, something. Oh, like uh, you know, the passion got the best of me here. You know, uh, they, they had a pocket full of golf balls.
0: Yeah, there was definitely something premeditated there. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, what, what a crap show that has been. But look, let, let's wrap this one up the day after Carolina gets the win, four and three, going into a bye week. I'm going to ask each of you um, one thing. We'll do the one thing that has to happen before Notre Dame in two weeks. Jason, I'll start with you. Give me one thing that this team has got to get done before traveling to South Bend in, I guess, 13 days.
0: Uh, I think they need to get things cleaned up on the, on the the on the line of scrimmage. Primary thing, get things cleaned up on the line of scrimmage in terms of technique, uh, in terms of communication, and that's on both sides of the ball, but, but in particular in the offensive side of the ball, the more they can get things cleaned up on the line of scrimmage, the better off they're gonna be going to be going forward. There needs to be a bit of a war in some drills between the offensive and defensive sides, and there need to be some really, really good you know, offensive and defensive only drills where they're making sure that guys are 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 engaging in proper techniques throughout uh to me fix some of the things on the line of scrimmage and a lot of other stuff takes care of itself
1: what you got you know i, I
2: i'm just gonna you know I, I was going to go with the offensive line but jason's already stolen that from me so i can't go there um But so I'm gonna go back to uh, you. Got to find somebody other than Sam Howell and Josh Downs that can play offense. Is just the bottom
1: line. Yeah, yeah. We talked about. It seemed like the offense was traveling down the get Howell killed path. Um, Yeah. So I agree. There It, it is. I mean Ty Chandler and I mentioned it off air. We didn't do it. He he plays a great first half. Virtually nothing in the second half, though he did have a couple uh, run into the uh, teeth of the defense carries there at the end of the ball game to get a few second-half touches. It, it's just mind-blowing. There's no consistency across the board that I see. Um, you know, I, I remember the old saying to the umpire, at least he's consistent, consistently bad. And Carolina's just been consistently inconsistent on the offensive side.
2: Yeah, and, and as far as uh, if we're going to complain, and and especially in, in a loss, I'd never like to complain about the referee, in, but in a win, you can get away with it to some extent. Oh, they saw uh, uh, the the, <laughs> the the call on Gimmel for uh, pass interference. Are you kidding me? Really? Come
1: on, guy. Yeah. You know. And it's across the board. I mean, it is absolutely, and I don't watch enough other schools, um, but across the board in the ACC, if you're going to be considered big time, you cannot have officiating as bad as it is. And I'm not a ref guy. I've said it a hundred times, but good gracious. It's not consistent either. I mean, sometimes we see the the chicken fighting on the outside with the DBs and the receivers, and they let it fly. Other times – the only thing they were letting fly yesterday was the flags. So, yeah, it's got to be frustrating as a player, as coach. It's definitely frustrating watching it from afar. We will, uh, it's bye week at Inside Carolina. So the podcast schedule, a little bit uh, different this week. We should have some fun shows for you. Not necessarily the game plan on Thursday um, like we normally do. Unless we can figure out a way to game plan for the bye week. Maybe we can. Maybe we can have a Madden conversation or a Madden contest and uh show what we would do if we were the offensive coordinator buck sanders it's always a pleasure hope to see you a little bit later jason staples it's always fun look forward to the film breakdowns i've been tommy ashley or i still am tommy ashley i'm the host of this one since carolina.com sponsored by johnny t-shirt rate us review kind of like us, you subscribe. need to subscribe i need a bye week i definitely need a bye week can't take many more of those tight ball games on saturdays but we'll be in south bend for the next one guys. It's always a pleasure.
0: You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA champions league, 24/7. The UEFA champions league channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel, serving nonstop goals, highlights and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players and brilliant goals with the UEFA champions league channel
3: streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS sports app.